the noise, 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 noise. Welcome to Background Noise, Episode 1. This is David Cadet, and together with my partner at Undoing, Mark Bovin, we are pleased to present to you a new podcast, which will feature some of Calgary's most innovative, interesting, and inspiring leaders. In moments, you'll hear from Jim Gibson and Greg Hart, two-thirds of the founding team of Thin Air Labs here in Calgary. We'll hear their background story and their bold vision. But first, speaking of bold, my partner, Mark Bovin, sat me down to ask me why. Did you hear that? Mark, do you hear it? Dave, I do. I know. What are we doing here? Um, the new podcast, Background Noise. The big question that I had when we thought about doing this was, what's the reason? And I challenged you to think about ways in which the podcast will be different than what people would normally hear. So what do you think is going to stand out as those differences? Mostly for reasons of um, lack of money. We don't have studio and therefore we don't have polish to these things, but in a way I think that's on brand with us. We don't we're, we're kind of celebrating the fact that most of the conversations that we have in these podcasts happen in noisy places like this, and therein lies the um, background noise name. I think it's you know pretty representative of where we've had our meetings, where we've talked to people, but also the idea of background noise as sort of a, more of a bigger concept. So if we go beyond the literal fact that I can barely hear myself think right now, where does that concept of background noise fit into talking to businesses and discussing things and that you would want to discuss? There's always that um, that romanced idea of some of the biggest deals or some of the biggest business ideas coming on the back of a cocktail napkin in a noisy bar. I think of noisy neighborhoods and marketplaces is where a lot of the, those ideas come from. A lot of great discoveries are made, certainly connections are made as well. For me, I think of the fact that there's a lot of background noise in our lives and people sort of maybe hinting and whispering, saying things that you should be doing, but also your ability to drown out the background noise like we're desperately trying to do right now as we have this conversation. Our background noise today is from the Crowfoot Starbucks. Otherwise known as HQ. That's right. This is where it all began. And actually, it's funny because it all began here when you introduced to me, um, I think you stole a magazine from the rack right behind us, the Atlantic, and on the cover was the story of competency-based education. And that was something that you and I looked at and went, holy crap, they're talking about what we do. And yeah, it was essentially talking about education done differently. And I think at the time we met, we were being asked to create a textbook done differently. And so it just flowed really well. And that's how things got started. And hundreds and hundreds of coffees later, here we are. Many of which consumed right here. So our podcast is called Background Noise. The first one, to your question, Mark, why are we doing this? Um, is to demonstrate that competencies, the way we talk about them and teach about them, are everywhere. And what we're about to hear are two gentlemen who, along with a third partner, started up this, I want to say, sort of an investment innovation incubator called Thin Air Labs here in Calgary. Um, You've had a chance to listen to a bit of the interview. Do you think it's congruent with the way we think, the things we talk about, our mantra, our message? I think what's compelling about anything that I've sort of digested from what we've done and the interviews we've done and 
podcasts we've had and you can always extract some kind of a competency from it, right? And the word competency is so misused. It's misused in education. It's misused in business. But we've been really pushing this idea of competencies for a long time. You listen to this podcast and you're going to see design thinking. So why don't you describe what design thinking is and what people should listen for when they're listening to the podcast? What is design thinking? It's creativity. It's, it's like you and I talk about our kids all the time who have no limitations, no boundaries, um, no oppression of feelings or emotions or what they should or should not do or behave like. It's just uh, it's open thinking. Um, there's obviously a formal structure to it, but it's creativity in its purest sense. How do you think people can apply what they're going to listen here to their jobs, to their lives in general? I, I think that... On a couple of things, Thin Air Labs is open for business here in Calgary and with the mission of redefining, reimagining, undoing the way Calgary has done and decoupling us from our addiction to an energy-based economy. And they've got all kinds of wonderful ideas. They've already started something called an unschool. They are thinking, like I said, kindred spirits with us. They're thinking about different and new ways of doing just about anything. So that's their mission as to how you and I and anyone listening can apply. It's taking a look at the things you do every day and how could I do these things differently in a way that will improve or enhance or simplify my life, those around me. Design thinking is just thinking without boxes of different ways of different ways of solving problems. I would like to see people do it, show it, take a video of it. What are you doing? How do you do something differently? A lot of things get talked about. There's a lot of lip service. There's a lot of people on LinkedIn that call themselves influencers and change agents. And well, are they really doing those things? Are they actually physically doing it? Are they just talking? it? So, you know, the push is both for us and for our listeners to challenge yourself, take action, do something concrete, solid. And tell us about it. Tell us how we can maybe make a future podcast that we do based on something that they're doing differently. I think that would be what we want. We want a community of people that are doing, not just talking. But what you spoke of right there, Mark, was almost taking the words out of the mouths of Jim and Greg, and you'll hear them say this themselves in the podcast, is that um, we, we couldn't in good conscience sit around our tables anymore twiddling our thumbs waiting for other people to make changes. So we took it upon ourselves to be the catalyst to that. We've thought about a lot about the way that the podcast is going to be and what's it going to look like and what's it going to sound like. So I'm excited to embark on this. What a great way to break into a conversation. I don't know what angle to start at if you want to start by doing a brief biography on one another and how that leads to thin air or if it makes more sense to just talk about the thin air and how the two of you confluence towards that how would you like to go about it from my perspective i i think there has been a journey of of tradition but there's also been a journey of new that that certainly i i i represent and greg will tell you his story but you know the Watching and watching and living the entrepreneurial life for most of your 25, 30 year work career, I mean, changes you, right? It, it's, I've never really worked in a large organization um, and started young at 26 with my first company and, and away I went. 
um, and was informed by the entrepreneurial spirit um, in a way that uh, is 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 very very unique for, for me. I, I, I learned about what it was like to truly be on the edge, really understanding that the next day you have maybe one more move kind of stuff, and that's that you know. Assuming that doesn't involve food and drink and shelter, you know, where it's, you know, strategy and business models, um, it, 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 it affects you, right? It, it gives you a sense of there's always one more move. And so when you do that, you kind of see life in a kind of a certain certain way. And so that's, as an entrepreneur, I've, I've done it for 30 years until I met this crew in Calgary. Um and being on all sides of that, that journey, uh, have recognized that the entrepreneurial spirit and way of living is going to be the, the source of the solutions for the future. Is that the, the creative mind and the creative uh, businesses that we're going to build is the only way we're going to exponentially react to the exponential changes. So it's got to come from, from that, that spirit. And I don't think it's, I don't think fundamentally it's changed. So, I bring to the, and Greg will tell us his story, but I mean, I bring to this journey 30 years of living in the crucible of building, selling, failing, funding startups and entrepreneurial journeys. Has there been a theme, uh, a thread of commonality between the different startups? Yeah, uh, initially underfunded and underloved. Um, as always, I've learned later in life to not go do either one of those anymore. You know, t- tilting at the windmill is is, is a challenge. <laughs> when, but when you get a little bit older, it's it's just not not fun. But for me, it's been technology and it's been disruption. So looking around the corner at what's next. So most of my uh, involvements have been on on that side of of, of looking at what's next. Uh, that. Um pathway led to the to your book um the tip of the spear amalgamation of the journey and where it's taking you to that point in time very much very much and and actually because and greg was one of the editors at, at the very end of, of the book and helped and that actually solidified our connection to thin air was his reaction to some of the themes of the book but but I, and I just I just spoke about it this morning to a group of very senior business leaders. Those themes in the book are actually, I would argue, the challenges that we have going forward. So rather than as an observation of where we've come from, I think it's the framework for how we have to think about the think about that future. Um, and it leads us to the challenges that we have currently with some of the thinking and strategies at our political levels, both locally here. And, Calgary and Alberta, but also across Canada and, and other places. So, so the book was very much a, a, the, the result of a whole lifetime of thinking about this. But I think it's really been, been um, it, it's going to be a, a, a very much a bedrock of how we look forward. And you know, to, and in working, you know, with Greg on on it, it was um, we came to a realization, especially. The last law of the book, which is our linear systems, just the way we look at change is, is, has to be broken and fixed. And we have to think differently because a linear response to exponential change is not possible. It just isn't. So Certainly you're, you're speaking our, our mantra as well. So 
on that note and in the uh, soft introduction of Greg, let's uh, pass the little microphone over. And so you're editing Jim's book. How did that come about? How did you two end up in that in that relationship where now you're overseeing his uh, baby? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say overseeing, but I, um, uh, Jim and I met through uh, the rainforest movement that was created here in Calgary, which Jim and Brad Zumwalt had and uh, Evan Hugh had really kind of kicked off uh, not that long before I kind of entered the entered the room when it was still in its growth stages. And the idea there, and I think this this part of the story is really terrific, actually, because many of the things that have happened in this city in the last few years, including the creation of Thin Air Labs, flow directly from that moment. And I and and that's important because that's why it was created. So. The short version of that is that, you know, for many years, lots of us were doing things in the city and didn't know other people who were doing those things. And so it was a very lonely kind of situation. And there was a realization that you need to have a sort of critical mass of an ecosystem of people who are thinking about innovation in order to actually make things really take off. So the rainforest, which is based on the book, The Rainforest, um, about creating innovation ecosystems was the thing that put Jim and I together in the same room originally, and James, our other partner in uh, Thin Air. So, uh, yeah, so a natural relationship just kind of uh, built there because you know you recognize fellow travelers, people who are on the same kind of mission in lives and in their lives, and and we were all kind of in a moment where something new needed to happen, and so. Um, that's how that all kind of came together. And that's how Jim came to me and said, well, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you took a look at the book and gave me some input on to, in, into how it's coming together and, and what your thoughts are. So that's, that's kind of that moment. That's how that all, all, all of this started uh, actually from that. And what were you doing at the time that brought you to the rainforest movement was your job. You also had a startup as well. Yeah, I've had several. I mean, I've been a, <laughs> I've been an inveterate entrepreneur. We often call ourselves with maybe members of the Island for uh, misfit toys, you know, in the sense that, um, that there's just, you end up on this path, uh, quite, quite early in your life. And for me, it was, I was 14 when I had my first, uh, company which was a disc jockey service um which was a ton of fun i actually still miss that but uh yeah I, I, so that's i mean same story as jim you know it's like sometimes super successful other times super not successful and and uh long-suffering spouse and the whole thing you know as an entrepreneur but that had been what i'd been doing and uh i had just finished actually doing some work for a company in calgary uh, was one of the times when I'd been asked to, to jump in and do something non-entrepreneurial, like just to actually help a company from the inside. And I just finished that, and that's when we met. So that was what brought, I mean, the rainforest was something I've been looking for my whole life, basically. And so that's how I ended up there. This might be a stupid question. Does rainforest movement still exist? Yes. It, yeah, is yeah. it like this Secret handshake club that yeah totally that you, you have to uh, learn the handshake to get into. <laughs> well, I'd like to give that a little bit of uh, attention as well. How how and where? What sort of tangibility is there to rainforest that you guys can talk about? Well, the question of tangibility is a great one because it's one we talk about all the time. In the sense that, in some ways, it needs not to. It's it's meant not to be too tangible. It's a um, you know. If it becomes too much of a quote-unquote organization, then maybe it loses some of its ability as a community. 
But, I mean, the simplest way, if people want to get involved with it, which they absolutely should, is they can go to rainforestab.ca. So not .ab, rainforestab.ca. And there you will find um, the ability to uh, to get involved. And we have, there's a weekly meeting on Wednesdays. It's called Lunch Without a Lunch, which Jim used to host all the time. But now we have other people who host it. And that's a touch point, basically, for the community to, to uh, get together. But so many of the things that have happened here flow out of that original thing. The place that we're sitting right now, Inception U, inside the back of the house for the Calgary Library, Inception U came out of us sitting there going, wow, there's a real talent problem in this town. We need to bring more future-focused uh, people, people who can think with a design mindset, mm-hmm. people who can uh, develop technology. Then we all just kind of looked at each other and said, well, we just can't wait for other people to do it. Hey, look, maybe we could build our own unschool and we could just start this. That flowed out of uh, the rainforest. Thin Air Labs flowed out of the rainforest. Platform, which is being built across the street, flowed out of the rainforest. I mean, all of these things happened from this not-so-tangible community, basically. So it's quite, quite central, I would say, to where we are today. It's a good point. Tangibility can be overrated. Okay, so there's there's a bunch of gaps in there that I don't know that we'll be able to to retrace. But let's start with thin air. How did it get its name? What does it <laughs> what does it mean? Although I think anyone listening can can make their own conclusions. But I'd I'd like to hear from you. What does it stand for? And when did the two of you and James first started to think this needs to be an outflow of rainforest? This is this needs to be um, this needs to have its own purpose to to serve in these ways year ago yeah just a little over a year ago so that's when that happened and actually the animating idea for this uh or part of it two things i would say that that i remember at least i mean maybe this is becoming mythological for me i don't know but uh i mean one of the original things would have been that we had a very explicit conversation about the fact that we could go and start a company just like we've done before and just do a thing. But then we said, would it be possible to start a company that actually launches a hundred companies? And so that was part of the kind of animating thought of thin air. And then the other part of it was we recognized, you know, again, talking about Jim's book and the strong messages that are in there about technology genies, not going back in bottles, institutions that are failing, you know, the demands of the future that we said if we wait around for somebody else to figure out how to respond to this, then we're going to be waiting maybe too long. And we can't really, in good conscience, be the people sitting around the table going, well, really somebody should do something where they should start building some companies that fit this new future or help bring infrastructure into play that fits this new future. And so out of thin air comes this idea that you could do this. But the name, actually, James already had the name. Like, this is something that he had just imagined already. And when he talked to Jim and I, we were like, yep, that's the perfect name. So um, that's that's really how that happened. Did his name fit the original vision? A company to build 100 companies? I don't... Well, I don't think that was the original idea that when he pulled... When he put the name together, I don't think that was... I think he just liked the name. We made the name fit, um, and it turned out to be perfect. Mm-hmm. We, we've, we've tried different things around the name, and, and it just made sense. Because it's out of thin air and into thin air. So one of the, one of the messages that we have to the world, and you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that, 
is to create new things, is to, to imagine what's coming around the corner to, to, to create what's necessary. But, but it's also to release things into thin air, is to let them go as, as they disappear and not be afraid of that, embrace that and recognize that, that in order, the whole notion of creative destruction is very powerful with, with us. And one of Greg's, I, probably the, the, the expression I use of his the most, because I steal all of them, right? And I think he still is good. We, yeah. It's a mutual stealing. It's a mutual stealing. Is, is this idea, when there's a way, there's a will. And, and I think we were talking earlier that, that the city was desperate, I think, for ideas and people and, and solutions to what's coming. It's a complex set of calculus of what's, what's in front of us. And we, we, our, our guiding philosophy was that we needed to show examples to everybody, not just you know, struggling oil and gas companies, but the future disenfranchised people who didn't see themselves in either any future or Calgary's future. And so we feel really strongly about the social purpose of, of building ways that people can start to identify their future. And, and that social purpose, that, that idea that <clears throat> ecosystems need to, to, to think about how people real, relate to the future, we, need, we can build it. And so when we say, when our expression is when there's a way, there's a will. And uh, the, the rainforest movement actually was an example where we just did it. We didn't wait. We didn't. And some of the projects we spun off, we didn't wait. We didn't rail against government or institutions. We just did it, and we invited them along. That was the most, I think that's one key thing of us is that we don't. We're, we're opinionated folks, as you read some of our social media feeds. We're opinionated folks, but we're also very, very inviting. Um, we never say to anybody, this is the, our way or the highway. But we're also going to get on with getting on um, because I think the, the ideological shift that's happening in the province is going to take some time to kind of land itself. We're just going to get on with it. So that's that's part of what Thin Air's mission is. So. What's the biggest challenge facing um, those that you are trying to give rise to? What is holding us back? Um, and, and I know Greg's got some opinions on this, but I'll, I'll jump in and, and start that conversation because I think it's a really good question. What, what's holding us back? And, what, and you know, systems thinking and, and, and the way we critically think is, is, is understanding the mental models of, 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 of an era gone by, which is I win, you lose. The fundamental principle that, that there has to be an extractive way of the economy um, is, 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 is completely foreign to a world that needs to move quickly, a world that needs to include more, more of humanity. Um, I win, you lose is only a, only a race to, to uh, a set of inequality that is impossible. And we think that urban centers, we think that cities themselves are the perfect size, the perfect um, platform for demonstrating how that works. So that, for example, when we talk about, uh, you know, bringing people into the new economy, if, I, if I'm going to be extractive, um, I'm not going to invite you to the party until you're ready to give me something or sell me something. 
our vision is that if we can bring people into new entrepreneurial startups, um, new companies that are a part of a broader ecosystem, that we truly understand that if you fail inside those ecosystems, we don't need to discard you. For example, you know, the typical model of 80% fail um, in a venture-backed startup. Why, does, why is that the case? Why, why, can, you know, why can't we be smarter about that? So, my, so you know, to answer your question, um, what's holding us back? It's a mind shift and it's a mindset that says, I win, you lose. And that goes to the heart of fundamental capitalism 1.0. It goes to the heart of a whole bunch of things that, that we're finding ourselves in. So that's that's kind of my answer to it. Your choice of words is interesting, too. Extractive. I mean, we're so used to hearing exclusive. Extractive would seem to mean we're only going to do it if we get something out of it. Yeah. And I, <laughs> the, 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 Jim and I have talked a lot about this notion of extractive. I mean, I mean there are some very technical details around the notion of extractive economics, but, you know, living in a world where you know, a lot of data is being mined um, and the people from whom that data is being mined who are actually producing the value uh, are not necessarily re rewarded for producing that value and that the reward for that value kind of rolls up to a, a different group. And the, the whole conversation around how the economy is changing or needs to change is fascinating. And I, and I, and I, and I think that to your question about, you know, what's holding us back, uh, humans, I mean, we're not really different than we were 75,000 years ago. I mean, we're the same creature, same body, same brain. Shaved um, apes. Yeah, shaved apes. We, we have put together some amazing things in the, in the intervening time. But, um, but, but we actually, you know, for instance, most people are very worried about changing things. That we get used to something that works. We are very conservative about that. It makes a lot of sense to do that. Um, the, the really weird thing is we're excellent at change also because that's how we've created everything that we've created. But I think we're in a moment right now when you look at it, and, and you know, Jim and I have looked through some books that have been pretty influential for us. and. One that we would encourage people to read is a short book by uh, Jonas and Jonathan Salk, um, the polio vaccine Jonas Salk, uh, called The New Reality, where it actually takes a look at the, this point in the, in the whole timeline of humanity where the population is flattening out on planet Earth. Like by the time we get to 2100, in all likelihood, the population will be flat across the entire planet. 12, 13 billion, whatever the number is, but it's slowing down really fast right now. So in any species population growth curve, that's an important moment because as Jim was talking about, this sort of like I win, you lose, very mechanistic, extractive, closed approaches to doing, building huge quantities of things has been a big focus in the economy for some time. But as the world's population curve starts to flatten out, now quality all of a sudden becomes a much bigger issue, right? How do we maintain the quality of existence? And then it also becomes more networked and open. And you're seeing, you know, to riff on William Gibson's, a different Gibson, uh, William Gibson's great quote that the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. We're actually seeing right now, like these movements that are occurring in economies that, um, you know, that are difficult for people to understand because it's not what we're used to. And to Jim's point, it's happening so fast that we can't actually get our minds wrapped around the change. And I think in cities like ours, we're in particularly 
difficult spot with respect to that because things that produce great wealth that we've become quite accustomed to are now we're being told by the rest of the world, like, actually, that's all going to change. And it's going to change way faster than you think it's going to change. And that's a tough message. And then to try to figure out how do you climb out of that? Does, uh, you know, the cities like Detroit and Pittsburgh and places like that, which were heavily depopulated before they started to make changes. Um, We actually have the advantage of tremendous wealth here, that if we put that wealth to work, we could lead this next move. And so for us, that's a central kind of idea. And going back to Jim's point about examples, we have to build examples. This can't be a series of PowerPoint presentations where we try to persuade people that there's some different things that we could do in the future. It has to be actually, here's a thing, and put the example down on the ground. And then what we notice is when people see an example, they can live with that example, they realize, oh, that's actually pretty cool. I like that idea. And all the fear of change kind of evaporates in that moment. But as long as it's all about, well, we need to persuade you that if you just take all these risks, that in the future there's going to be green grass in the promised land. And that's a very tough way to, to, for most humans to, to, to grapple with the future. So that's what we think the barrier is, not enough examples. We need to make it clear to people that it's possible to do some, some different things. Because examples would, would create or would reduce uncertainty. Absolutely. Right, is- because I think that's, it's, it's, we're always averse to change, although, as you say, we, um, we've, we've adjusted quite well. Yeah, we're good at it. Um, but it's that deep, dark uncertainty that, that spoils everything. So creating this platform of examples. Yeah, um, so, I mean, this unschool that we're sitting in right now, that um, Inception U and then the Evolve U program, which is focused at, the, the Evolve U part of it's focused at kind of taking people who are, caught in that rapidly changing world and trying to rapidly move them into a new position so that they can they can be successful in a new economy and and so yeah we started that program ran some you know a couple of years ago actually we started the program ran some sort of uh, forerunner courses to see what the appetite was took a kind of different view to how we would do things you know we called we had courses that we called like figuring shit out instead of critical thinking, but it was really about critical thinking. Uh, we had another one called wild thinking where we just introduced people to some, you know, things that were counterintuitive, but would help them understand the world in different ways. And then when we just said, well, we need to do something that's full immersion, something that's going to actually take people from one place to another. Then we looked at full stack development as being a, you know, something that Calgary tech companies really need full stack developers but then it's not delivered as a coding camp. It's delivered as a complete experience with the design mindset absolutely at the core of what we're doing. And so people are learning how to code, but they're learning things like Jim was talking about that, you know, that if you want to, you have to innovate the way you do things. If you want to have lots of new and effective things, you have to be meaningful, not mechanical. It's a language we use all the time in that class which is that that you're always thinking with purpose, why am I doing this? Um, And so that was really how that whole thing evolved. And when we started it, you know, no government was funding it, no nothing. We just put it out there. There were, I think, about 15 people who were crazy enough to trust that we might do something good for their lives and put their own money down. And then when, this is a great example of how this all just starts to happen. We, We put that program in play. The government noticed the program and said we would love to fund some people going through that program if you know you can you know respond to our requirements 
which we did. Um, and then, you know, Thin Air was doing work with the library here uh, on innovation. And the CEO, Bill, um, who sadly has passed away, but Bill, we just sat down and he said, I love the program that you're running and it's a perfect fit for the library and what we're trying to do in the world, which is potentials realized. And he said, hey, we've got this back of house space and you'd be great. Like, why don't you just put your program in here? Which we did. And so, uh, you know, now we have, you know, we'll be well over uh, 100 people now who've gone through the program and there's people who've got jobs great jobs in technology, future fit jobs by coming through this program and learning a different way of looking at the world. So it's a great example, I think, of how you can do things differently. And there's lots of people in education who would love to do things differently, but it's hard um, because of existing structures and all that stuff that prevents change from occurring. We didn't have any of those barriers, right? And we sort of gleefully talk about the fact that, you know, if something's not working in this program, we can change it right now and next week we can iterate and and do something different it's very hard to do in a conventional situation so that's one really key example i think of what we're talking about is design thinking at the heart of just about everything you guys are putting your fingerprints on oh absolutely so um and and greg's master of design thinking as well and he teaches it and he's brilliant at it but but one of the things with that word design, we Thin Air Labs, is actually two pieces. It's called Thin Air Design and Thin Air Capital. And we're disrupting both, right? I, I think we're, we're everyone we touch will have, have the ability to work with both sides of the houses, if you will. So James, James because of, of his success with Wave and just his absolute interest in in um, reimagining capital is really driving our capital strategy on, on how we fund ecosystems and new ideas. So that's the one side of the house. Greg and I are really responsible for looking at the world and deciding um, either inbound, people come in and give us, we, we, we get more projects. We, we call ourselves Velcro right now. People are jumping on. Like, remember the old David Letterman when the guy jumps on the Velcro. Right. So we're getting a lot of that, but. I think our more important job as we mature is to peer around the corner and say, what is it about our city or our place and time that we want to get ahead of? Right now, we're a bit reactive. So Greg's talked about education and and Evolve You. We're working with Thin Air Games, which is a whole ecosystem about building the next 20 to 30 video game companies and, and software driven from AR, VR, and, and the, 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 um, the engines of gaming. So we're launching that. Um, but I think one of our jobs is to say, working with the agents of the city, not waiting for them, working with, um, is to say, what's next? And so the one area that we're really interested in and, and actively investing in, which you met Crystal Phillips, is look, really looking at the life sciences world, is to say, what is it about that world that we can bring some of the design thinking, the whole way we look at how organizations work together, and capital, and universities, and say, what can we do differently? And so we're deeply immersed in some, some um, both individual companies, collective of companies, and and really trying to, to high grade the, the commercialization opportunities in life sciences here. 
and boy, oh boy, that gets attention of some of our, our government folks because, as you can imagine, life sciences, jobs, and the future of that industry is, is really the future of the province, I would argue. And we can talk at length about why we think Alberta is uniquely positioned in the world to be a leader in AIML and, and the things that are going to happen against the, our amazing health data set and all the commercialization opportunities. So, But what we didn't want to have happen is what traditionally happens. A bunch of stovepipes and folks, really well-meaning, great researchers, great investors, great startups. We want to create a much more cohesive ecosystem view of it so that we uh, work together and we, we I don't need to own it all and Thin Air doesn't need to own it all. We've got a whole bunch of people that we, we're intersecting with and we're very open to say, how can we work together? And it comes right back to the what Greg was talking about, the rainforest. There's a social contract there that says pay it forward, work together. Don't demand extraction before you have a chance to earn trust, et cetera, et cetera. So this whole thing comes full circle. That when you're in a meeting and you're starting to talk about the culture of trust, people don't look at you kind of going, well, he's kind of touchy-feely. And it actually is a powerful start. And there's an example of a company that's coming in potentially from overseas, from Europe, that could change the game of life sciences here in Calgary. And their first reaction to us was, you're the first group that talked about culture and community and collaboration and living and how you live in a city. You're the first economic group that we've ever met that talk like that. The rest of the cities across Canada all talked about the low tax rates, um, how much you know we can give away. And, and we feel really strongly that their, their reason for coming is because we talked about the culture first and how we design for that future. So... Um, some really good examples. We'll talk more about that as they happen, but uh, that's what we're involved with. So that's the health cluster. You mentioned the yep. the, uh, the game. Is it a cluster? Is it called the game cluster, or is it would, would that this be a cells? Cells. Yeah. Some something organic. Yeah. yeah. So those are two very different <laughs> industry sectors, if you want to call them that. Right. If yeah. You're really. Looking at Maslow's hierarchy, one is at the very bottom, and one is halfway ah. up. But are they? Or are they? <laughs> or are they? Ooh, now you've got me scratching my chin now, too. Are they really? What What other areas do you see being um, ripe for the thin air mindset? Uh, some other ones that are, are really important are include things that what might be called sort of the smart cities group. I mean, that's the language that's been applied to this, which we see as being much more than a technology play in the city, but to Jim's earlier point about you know, the future is urban. It just is. And if we talk about this sort of quantity versus quality trade-off that we're dealing with, then you know everything really stems from a superb yeah. urban experience. And that will be the economic battleground of the future. And we're seeing it happening already. Um, that companies are making decisions about where they go based on the place itself. So it used to be that talent followed capital, uh, you know, wherever somebody set up their company and whatever, but that's changing. It's one of those things that people probably don't notice very much, but it's changing quite radically right now that you're seeing capital following talent and talent flowing to place. So the, the place that you're creating in this to us is like the fulsome um, kind of way of thinking about a smart city. 
then that that place that attracts a lot of talent is going to attract a lot of capital. And then you know, the whole thing flows from there. So we're very interested in that area, both in the in terms of the design challenges of the smart city, the technologies that are in that area. That's something that's, that's the communities and how they get built. That is a fascinating area for us from a design and an investment perspective. So that's one. And then all I mean, obviously the low carbon future piece is something quite significant for us as well. The um, we had a meeting this morning. We were talking about a, a possible uh, direction that we're going to take in that area, but but you know, building an ecosystem of companies that help decarbonize um, the energy footprint, both locally and globally, is an area that's really interesting for us. Anything that we can do, and I mean, agriculture. Obviously, we've thought about that a lot as well. Anything that we can, I mean, the idea is to grow that stuff from here, like to take Calgary as this unusual starting point that where people would actually say really that started there that's that's surprising um that's really part of what we would like <laughs> to see happen we would love to have those kind of conversations going on i mean even when we built the unschool here the idea was not to just do something local that would be kind of you know interesting but actually that you know a few years from now somebody's going to wake up on another part of the planet and say if you want to go and acquire the design mindset that you can apply to engineering or software or whatever else, you should go to this place in Calgary because it's the place that does this as well as anywhere in the world. So that that's a very strong kind of part of the concept for us. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, like gaming, for instance, is quite different than health, especially looking at Maslow's hierarchy. I think one of the approaches that we're, we're taking, which is most exciting, is that this design layer that Jim was referring to cuts across all the cells. So gaming is interesting to us because gaming works because it activates the things that make us human. And so there are applications of the gaming world that will apply very effectively in health and education and other places. Um, and there are ways that we can pull connections between those different cells to make more successful ventures in those areas. And gaming works out really well for us because, um, you know, we were able to attract a company here, um, again, about building community and culture. Uh, the, the, the promise of the Thin Air Games piece is actually the, one of the key reasons that brought uh, company New World Interactive to Calgary, who is a very strong indie game builder, multi-million player games that um, is moving into double-A territory. They located here partly because there was this opportunity for them to be the anchor tenant in this new ecosystem of gaming companies that we can create out of thin air here, basically, but then connected to health and education and smart cities and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks for drawing the line. It's, uh, it does make sense. Um, That's really good to hear. <laughs> Our lines are dotted, thin, thick, but, but we're connected. But they're, they're connected. We're connected. Yeah, exactly. and it's um, always good to hear somebody else say, oh, that makes sense. Well, I mean, I don't want to get too hung up on Maslow, but I mean, they are all needs, right? There's no escaping the fact that they are all human needs. And, but and, I would, and actually, I was just going to say that the human nature is a really grounded concept for us in the work that we do, both on the education side, but also in thin air, that if you're trying to evaluate something that's going to work in the future, human nature, until we get really crazy with CRISPR, is a fairly set up thing. Like we know the sorts of things that humans will need and 
feel and think about. And, and you know, when you look at the success of companies like Apple, for instance, um, it seems we we often talk about the fact that it seems like a company like Apple and Steve Jobs particularly seem to violate the lean startup, which everybody loves to talk about. This iterate with your clients and everything. Instead, it's like they seem to be playing this long hunch where they work quietly away in their in their in their workshop and then drops the iPhone on the world and then everybody just all of a sudden adopts it. But the reason that they had that superpower, we may still have that superpower, is because they understood the Maslow thing. They understood and I've often said to people when we start talking about, well, can't get people off their phones and people just want to communicate in 160 characters and all this kind of stuff. My response is people have always wanted to communicate in 160 characters. It's, it, that had to exist before the technology that allowed you to do it in order for it to work. And so we ignore that at our peril, right? Like not understanding that. And that's a big part of Jim's book as well. And, and so from a thin air perspective, we're like, how can we take that knowledge about how people are and what they want in this changing global context? And how can we produce a future that is one of high quality that everybody's going to want to live in. They're going to thrive in. It's going to be more equitable. We're going to respect the planetary boundaries. We're going to support the social foundations and have a thriving economy that does that. We don't see that as a some zero-sum game that we have to pick between all those things. If we understand it well enough, we see the opportunity that we can actually maximize that stuff. And, um, you know, that's that's philosophically driving the work that we're doing right now. You just articulated the theme of another book that you've probably read, or if not, you should. It's called Donut Economics. It's actually at the level of, of uh, the new reality, Donut Economics, and then the other one that we circulated around was The Value of Everything. Um, uh, Maria, uh, Marina Mazzucuto. Mazzucuto, yeah, uh, economist, which we just love. So those are our three books. So the Donut, Donut Economics that went that went like quicksilver through our team. It was like boom, and then and then the new reality. We actually have in our base camp, so our shared collaboration space. Every month, there's a ping to all the team that says, "What have you read? <laughs> What's your favorite book?" And at first, you go. Uh, Every month we get we get new ideas into the virtual bookstore of yeah. thin air. Oh wow! So it's super cool. And is like, that available anywhere? Is that online? Yeah, or is we, that, we could actually we start. Could, to, we, could we could actually, actually open that up. I think yeah. the book list yeah. is fantastic. It's yeah. just great. So I'm behind. How many books are you behind? I don't know. I'm a, I read a lot. We all read a lot. But uh, yeah. I know you're an audio book. But, but why why Calgary? <laughs> and before you answer that, I don't know if you guys know of uh, Graham Edge. Yeah. Oh, very much. Yeah, I kind of figured you'd have that. <laughs> Big fan. And, and that mentality seems to be parallel with yours, um, that energy disruptors um, had to happen here. Why Calgary? Oh, that's, I love that question because, um, well, I just do because I believe it. Um, I've traveled, I've lived, I'm a Canadian, I've lived all across the country. So I, I get a sense of what's different about the East and Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver and Calgary. I've lived in all the cities, so I have a sense of it. I would argue that, that you know, again, this, 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 this curve that we're on as we flatten out our, our future population growth and the flight from, from quantity to quality, if you boil that down, is we're going to have to reimagine how we eat, 
how we drink, how we heat our homes, and how we conduct ourselves in the, the new economy. I, I really believe it. And so if you do a cross-section of this province, I would argue, having again, having lived across the country, we represent all of the basic human human systems that we need to survive. We do. We touch them all. And, and we have the scientists. We have all of those pieces. And I think there's a new coming of, of what's next, the fourth industrial revolution, the flattening of the curve. All that's coming. No better represented than, than Calgary. So step one, it's all here. The, the science and education and the background of the people that built it, we can build more complex projects than anywhere in the world. Like if you've, if you've gone to the oil sands, like them or not, they're the most complex engineering projects. So when we want to build Hyperloop, we can build the next version of Hyperloop in a heartbeat. But the most important thing is that we've got a group of people who made tremendous amount of wealth, winning the lottery and being smart business people. But at the end of the day, in that extractive world, they made a lot of money. And they have a strong belief in this province. And so there's this, this not frozen, but, 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 but capital that's sitting there waiting for what's next. And you have a bunch of very well-meaning human beings who want to see the province reimagine itself. So when you combine the best of the raw material for the future with the fuel, the trick is a spark. So what's been missing is that spark. So that's what I think we're trying to do with thin air is, is um, I'd rather be here, like be the spark lighter by showing examples of, of how that works. Um, because once the way is shown, I'm con we're convinced that the capital will follow and the capital will move into more ideas. So that's my, that's my take on it. <laughs> we get asked this question a lot, and especially lately, um, yeah. frankly. I mean, I was internationally, we've been talking with potential investors who would put money into thin air capital and help participate in the work that we're doing. And, you know, I kind of had a series of these conversations that were like, we love what you're doing. It's a different approach. I mean, we haven't even talked about the ways in which we're actually trying to basically innovate some weaknesses that we see in venture capital as well as part of this process. But um, so a lot of enthusiasm, but the global message about our province right now is not a good one and to people who are investing in these areas. And so it immediately generates the question of, well, that's great that you're doing this, but why would you do it there? Um, why wouldn't you go to a place that was that had a friendlier narrative, basically? And we would be the first ones to admit, and in the spirit of things that kind of slow you down, like it would be awesome if that wasn't the narrative. However, it goes back to our original conversation when we started the whole idea of thin air. We can't wait around for other people to do this stuff. It needs to happen. And I agree with Graham, too, that it has to happen here. Like that counterintuitive notion yeah. Of, yeah. of, you know, for instance, a couple of companies or an ecosystem of companies that are doing, you know, aggressive decarbonization work coming out of Calgary would be like, what? Which is great. Because as Jim said, we have all the raw material here to produce those kinds of outcomes. Um, but we have to just be organized, which is, again, why Thin Air was not about how do we build one company. It's how do we connect companies together so that we can build an ecosystem of companies that can support each other and that can work with each other to produce a much larger outcome together. So this is us going and saying, can we embrace this new networked, open 
model of the world rather than this, I keep everything secret and cut you off from learning anything about what I'm doing. Um, you know, I win, you lose kind of world. That can we do that? Can we launch? And yeah, absolutely, we can launch that from here. We've already seen the ecosystem that's built in the last few years in the innovation economy here is one that is connected to these ideas that we're talking about. It differentiates it from other innovation ecosystems in Toronto, Vancouver, Silicon Valley. And so we have a unique opportunity in the spirit of being different in our approach to doing things that why not do it from here? Um, so that's the way we look at it. It has to happen. Yeah. One minute. So let me just, let's just close on this then. Um, you may, because of your own zeal for this, we'll take further than one minute. But how does it work? How does thin air work and who should apply um, to, be, to, to become part of this ecosystem? A um, couple, of, couple of quick quick things is, um, you know, put up your hand. I, I tell this really quick story. This woman at, at, at the, the Rainforest launch to the community this year, so we do every year, we do a report to the community, was sitting in the audience, had just moved back from Vancouver via San Diego, was a master's in curriculum design, and she didn't know a soul. She put up her hand at the end of our little hour session at, and said, um, I have a question. He says, how do I meet you guys? And a bunch of us said, ask us for a coffee. We're in. She pinged me on LinkedIn. We found each other. And long story short, she's running She's running Involve You. She actually is the general manager, managing director of yeah. Involve You. Yeah. Because she put up her hand and said, I'm in. I'm not sure what it means, but I'm in. Present yourself to the world. Be open and authentic. Um, don't try and I, you know don't try and extract value from the network first. Learn about it. Get involved. Get get connected. And if you have a br brilliant idea, we're pretty much all ears. Yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. So individuals and or startups. Oh, and or shorter and or existing large organizations. If we had more time, Greg would tell you about his amazing interaction with WestJet. Our amazing interactive, one of the largest engineering companies in the world. Intuitive. Etc. 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 So it's not just the nascent, you know, sprouts. It's we have to work. We have to work on, on both. Like we have to work on both. It's not about to change. We have to help existing institutions and organizations reposition themselves to work effectively in the future. And uh, we have to take the the new ventures and put them in a position where they can be successful. But when you see the ecosystem play, you see how those two things connect to each other. Because if I'm a new venture who needs to sell into an ecosystem with established ventures, but those established ventures are not positioned to take my innovation, then the adoption hurdle becomes quite significant, which is a big issue. So we work on both sides. That thinner design approach works with both existing organizations as well as startups. And I think that's a that's a that's a really core part of, of how we're approaching things. So, and it's an ecosystem play. So we want as many people who want to talk to us to talk to us. That's that's how this is all going to work. You've just done the perfect voiceover for the sequel trailer. Yeah. All right. If you guys are all right, I'd like to come back here and talk again. Yeah, we'd so, love to we'd love, love to. to chat more. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for your time, David. Thanks. Thank you very much. That's great. I hope you enjoyed listening to Jim Gibson and Greg Hart of Thin Air Labs, episode one of our new podcast, Background Noise. If you like it, please subscribe. If you don't, please tell us why. You can find us at undoing.ca. You can find Jim, Greg, and their third partner in crime, James Lockery, at thinairlabs.ca. 
They also referenced a really cool movement here in Calgary called Rainforest Alberta, and you can find them at rainforestab.ca. Thanks for listening. It means a lot.